morning. Well, this morning we're going to be taking a, a short break from our series in 1 Corinthians. And God has laid a message on my heart that seems kind of out of the blue for me and maybe for you, but it's on something that we find that's very difficult to do in our life, and that is to wait. Um, now, some of you might be thinking, eh, waiting's not, that's, no, that's not hard. Well, let me ask you, does anybody in here really enjoy waiting? I see no hands. Because there's different kinds of waiting, you know. There's like a child's waiting for Christmas to open up presents, while waiting of anticipation. There's waiting that's a little less fun, like getting in line for gas at Costco, and the people in front of you don't know how to drive, and they're cutting each other off, and you don't even know it's gonna be safe to get gas at Costco. Then there's the kind of waiting that's really the most difficult, I think, for us. The kinds of waiting that tests our faith, our hope, our trust. Waiting in trials that seem to have no end. Bodily sicknesses, uh, debilitating pain that never seems to go away. Waiting for God to save that loved one you've been praying for for years. Or waiting on God to heal relationships that you know need to be restored but just don't seem to be happening. Maybe it's the lonely person that's been praying for a mate and they've been waiting on God and they're just not getting someone in their life. So they wait. And that presents a problem. So why do I bring that up? Because if we all admit we have a problem waiting, which we do, we've also exposed another potential problem for us. And that is we're gonna find it difficult to walk by faith because faith requires waiting, doesn't it? You don't have to use faith if you have it in front of you. So faith requires that we wait. And because God often seems late by our calendar, waiting seems harder and harder and therefore it tests our trust of God. Will we hang in there and rely on God even when his timing doesn't match the official timing on our calendar? Because you know, we don't count God's timing really as our official timing most of the time. We are happy when they coincide, but when God's timing is slower than ours, do we say, oh goody, I don't know anybody that does that. So we really know that our timing is the first one that we go by, then his hopefully lines up. But it often will not. And I find that in the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians, several of these fruits of the Spirit are not even possible, wouldn't be needed if there wasn't something called waiting. What would you need to, if you have something, there's no hope because you don't hope in what you have. You hope for what you don't have. Uh, patience seems to imply waiting. Faith seems to imply waiting. So why has God linked so many of these things to waiting? Well, we're gonna study that this morning and we're gonna hopefully, I hope to encourage some of you to look at the need and the importance of us waiting on God especially when it tests our faith. And we're gonna look at a passage in chapter 16 of, Gold, of Genesis, so turn in your Bibles, your iPhones, your tablets, whatever you have, to the 16th chapter of Genesis. And we're gonna begin in verse one. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. 
Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Well, your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Beir Lahai Roy, which is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave him the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. This is the word of the Lord. Father, would you use this passage to demonstrate to us and to show us why waiting on you is so critical, so important, and so beneficial. Father, this is one of the things that none of us on this planet like to do. None of us like to wait. All of us want things on our own time schedule. And when we need to wait on you, it puts a strain on our ability to trust you, our ability to hope, our ability to have joy. Waiting causes us difficulty. Would you show us why waiting on you is still the best thing for us? Because you are a God who loves us and who with, will withhold no good thing from those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our passage this morning, and as we read our Bibles, we see that the only sure foundation for our faith in this life is Christ his word, and his promises to us. According to Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do, what we do not see. It's because now true faith cannot rely on what you have or what you see. It's based on what God has said, what his word teaches us, and not based on our own reasoning our own eyesight, our own judgment. It's based on his unshakable word and his promises to us. But have you ever noticed that the promises that God describes in 2 Peter 2, verse, uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 4, he says, now these great and precious promises of God, did you know that very few of these promises throughout scripture ever come with a time limit? You only have to trust God so long and if he doesn't come through, do your own thing. Did you notice that? Uh, if God ever told you, you know what, you'll always have your answer in seven days. I, I, we wouldn't have any problem waiting seven days, I don't think. But if he says, what I want you to do is I want you to give it to me and pray and I want you to wait. Okay, Lord, how long? I want you to wait. Okay, I, I heard you, but how long? I said, I want you to wait. Now we've got a problem. Because now, we don't know what we're waiting for. We don't know how long we're waiting for, and we don't know if he's gonna come through. Maybe it won't even be in this lifetime when this prayer is answered. But he just says, wait. And I believe that what we would do is we need to look at what scripture says that what we should pursue when we need things. It says in scripture, if we needed strength, if we needed greater strength, many of you would run to Isaiah chapter 40, right? In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30 and 31, what do we read? We read, 
Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. Lord, I don't like your formula. I just like new strength. So those who drink energy drinks and exercise have strength. No, he says those who wait on me will have strength. Well, I don't like your formula. Uh, well, what do we do when we need protection or we need help from God? Uh, we look for an appropriate TikTok and uh, see how to get help and we uh, hire a security guard. That's what we do. No, Psalm 33:20 says this. We wait in hope for the Lord. Why? He is our help and our shield. So where do you run when you need help? Wait on God. But God, you're not on time. I need help now. If we are in the right waiting, God will never be late. Never. Well, what, is, what if we uh, want hope? 62.5 in Psalms. My soul, wait in silence for God alone, for my hope is from him. We don't get hope unless we're in him and we're waiting. There is no hope. He is the source of hope in this planet. Do you think this world gives anybody any hope? Does your government give you any hope? Your friends sometimes don't give you any hope. There's only one place for hope, and that is waiting on God, and he will give your heart hope. Well, what does the prophet Jeremiah say in Lamentations? What if we want God's goodness in our lives? It says in Lamentations 3, verses 25 and 26. The Lord is good to those who always do right. Is that what it says? No. It says the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Well, wait a minute. Lord, you're putting way too many things on this waiting thing. I don't get hope, I don't get help, I don't get protection, I don't get goodness, I don't get strength, unless I'm willing to wait. So let's be clear, the concept of waiting is not sitting there with your hands folded and your thumbs twiddling. That's not what the Bible means by wait on the Lord. What he really means is being in a position to not run ahead of God and to live your life based on trust, on hope, on expectancy, on what he's going to do and listening to his voice. That's what waiting on him is. It doesn't mean you just park your car and, well, I gave it to God, I don't get to do anything until he comes through. That's not it. What it means is we're not running around complaining about the delay. That would be pretty bad testimony. Do you believe in God? Yes, I do, but I whine all the time. Why? Because he's late. That wouldn't really work, would it? We're here to wait patiently for God and be at rest and be at peace, knowing that when he does come through, it's gonna be better than anything I could have created in the meantime. That's the point. Well, did anybody have to wait in scripture? Well, yeah, quite a few people. I'll just name a couple. How about King David? King David waited 13 years after he was anointed king before he was actually made king of Israel. And do you know what? He had several opportunities to shorten that time frame. King Saul, who was the one chasing him, running him down for his life, he has actually in David's power at least two times in scripture that he could have killed Saul, got him out of the way. He could have eliminated his problem and become king. God, thank you for the opportunity to speed my ascension to the throne. No, he trusted God. God got him to the throne exactly on time. What about the children of Israel? They waited 430 years to be rescued from, Israel, from Egypt slavery. If you were in the last, let's say year 400 to 430, how confident would you have been in God rescuing you? It was certainly imminent on the horizon, right? You could see the, all the evidences you were about to leave. No, but God had a plan and he implemented his plan at year 430. Now, we often like to just cut to the chase and get out of the situation as soon as we can. But doing things our own way, just like Saul, when he didn't wait for the prophet Samuel 
and sacrificed what he didn't, wasn't supposed to do because only the priests were supposed to do that. God said, you didn't wait for me. He only had to wait seven days. You didn't wait for me. You disobeyed. So I'm ripping the kingdom out of your hands. Scripture. God will rip something out of your hands if you go the wrong way. Are you ready for that? Well, does it happen today? Do people not wait for God today? <laughs> yes. I mean, what about the person that's, I've, I've met many of young person that says, I'm waiting for the right person to be married, but God's just not bringing them up. I, I keep waiting and waiting, so my standards are dropping. I started here, but now I'm here. I'll take about anything. And they finally said, I can't wait on God anymore. God, you're too slow. Don't you know I'm lonely? Don't you know I need companionship and a relationship? Don't you know I need? You're just not cutting it. I'm gonna go for it myself. I'm gonna do my own thing. I can guarantee you, if you do not wait for God, it will not end happily. Wait for God. Well, how about some saints that say, well, I'm, I'm in a tough job. My boss is mean to me. Really? Someone could actually be mean to us in this life? Really? Well, I need to get out of there because I don't deserve to have anyone being mean to me. Well, do you know what God's trying to accomplish and what he's training you in right now? So I'm just gonna jump out of this job. I don't even know what my new job is, but I'm gonna quit. Really, what's your new job? I don't know yet, but he just doesn't want me in this. Uh, you heard him tell you that, right? No, but I just can't stand it no more. How about this one? Nobody has ever fallen prey to this one, I'm sure. They're such a good deal. You should see the price of this thing. Nobody's ever seen a price that low ever. I gotta go for it. Do you have the money for it? No, but I'll figure it out somehow. Because never been that low. I mean, that boat, that car, that vacation, that timeshare, they're giving them away. It'll only cost me six grand. It normally is 30. What a deal. Do you have six grand? No, but I want it. What, what is going on? Did you ask God about that? Well, no. Does he want you to have it? I don't know. But I want it. And what happens? We mortgage our future, we do whatever we do, we say, there's no way, God, you could deliver something like that to me with a better deal. That's what we're saying. Could God give you a boat if he wanted you to have a boat? Yes, he could. I don't think there's gonna be many boats distributed here today, but I'm just telling you, we don't have to say this one-time man-made offer dangled in front of our face, we better leap for it. Because God is more powerful than any offer. He could put a person from one state to another, slave to free, in a heartbeat because that's what he wants. You don't have to see it coming. You don't have to know how he does it. He can just do it. He can take Hezekiah, faced an army of 185,000 men, and he couldn't take them because he only had an army of about 5,000. He says, well, what's our plan? The only plan he had was to fall on his knees before God. What did God do? He killed 185,000 men and gave him the victory. Did anybody see that coming? No, but that's what we forfeit when we jump ahead. He could have gone out there and said, well, I'm gonna hire some other army. That'll do it. Oh yeah, waiting for God is the way to happen. I, my mom used to have this sign on top of her china cabinet. And I know some of you are saying, china cabinet? That's a piece of art, you know, antique furniture that used to be in homes that had glass doors on them and you could show off your good china, but you never used it. Well, occasionally for company. We have a set of that good china at our house. Oh, we use it twice, maybe? In 20 years now? It's not that none of you deserve it, but we'd rather just use our normal china or so normal dishes so we can wash them easier. But the point is, on top of that china cabinet, there was a sign that said this, God gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Do you believe that? 
According to Psalms 84.11, it says this, No good thing does he withhold from those who walk, whose walk is blameless. Did you know that those who wait on God, those who walk according to his ways, they will not lack one good thing? Now, what does that mean? If you don't have it, it's not good for you. Because God's promised. Well, we've got to keep moving. But I think many times in our lives, we blame God to, because we have run after stuff outside of his plan, and now there's a big regret in our life. And it's not the things that God gave us that cause us regret. It's the things we went after ourselves. We thought we really needed. We needed to do. We had to get out of that relationship. We had to run from this. We had to buy that. We never asked God, and now we regret. But there are no regrets following God. I want you to know that today. There are no regrets when we follow and obey God. Well, let's move on. What's the, what's the problem we see in this passage? What's the problem that Abram and Sarai faced? Waiting. See, there wasn't a man, I don't think, that had any more, uh, that any more reflected what God wanted him to do and, bound, and built his life on faith than was Abram. I mean, ever since we saw him in chapters 11 and 12 of Genesis, we saw that God found him, God called him, God told him to leave, he followed, he was a man of faith. But he had tests along the way. He had several tests of faith. The first test was, would he even leave? I mean, he had good job, he had financial security, all his family lived in the area. Certainly God wouldn't want me to give these up. So he had to trust God. Well, where am I gonna go, God? That way. Where's my finances gonna come from? Trust me. Well, all my family's back here, I know. There's, I don't know anybody over there, right? Go. Would he believe? Yes, he passed that test. He went. Well, in chapter 12, we see his faith was tested again because they went, as soon as he left, they went into a famine. Way to go, God. You sent me right over to a famine. I'm heading back. They got food there. No, he passed that test too. Well, in chapter 13, he was tested again. His family started splitting apart. Well, God, you gave me this land, but it's not big enough to support my nephew Lot and us, and they're squabbling, there's arguing, there's fighting. We're, we're, our family's splitting up. Okay, do you trust me? Yes, he passed the test. Chapter 14, Lot gets in trouble. He has to go right out as an old man in an army and face death at war. I mean, Lord, you called me for a purpose, now you want me to die in battle over here defending my numbskull nephew? This is not good. But he trusted God and he passed that. What is his biggest test? It comes right now. Waiting on God, chapter 16. And it says it all in that first sentence. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Why is that a problem? Well, let's go back quickly. In the uh, 15th chapter, God promised Abram. He took him outside and says, look at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. Abram believed God. Now this is really more incredible if you really consider the fact that in chapter 11, Abram already knew another fact. In chapter 11, verse 30, you don't have to go right now, but you can look there. It says that Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Before she even left Ur, she was barren. And now God's saying, by the way, this barren wife of yours, you're gonna have a child with her. So for him to believe God at that point, that's really incredible. So what happened to this incredible leaf? It was tested by time. Despite God's clear promise and his earlier stated belief, their faith is tested because now it's been 10 years and no child. Can you imagine what this would be like? Some of us wait a long time for God to say something and to give us an answer, and we get tired in waiting, but we've never really heard a solid no or a solid yes. This is different. When you know, you either know you are pregnant or you're not pregnant, right? And so every month for 10 years, that would be 120 months, right? 
when she found out that she was not pregnant, she heard a direct no from God. So how would you like to hear you're asking for something and you hear God answer you 120 times in a row, no, 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 120 times. Would your faith be a little weakened? I don't think this is going to happen. In fact, now she's older. And she said, if it, isn't, if it doesn't happen now, it ain't happening. I, I'm drying up like a prune. This is not good. I'm not going to have a baby. And you not, may not be facing the same circumstances that they are, but you've gone through seasons where it's been a long time of God saying, not yet, or no, not yet. I'm not taking it away. I'm not removing it. I don't want you to run. I want you to stay. I know this pain is bad, but I'm with you. I'm not taking it away. Paul heard God say three times, right? This problem in the thorn in the flesh, they think it was his eyesight. He says, I've asked you three times, God, and now God says, stop asking. It's not going away. My grace is sufficient for you. Wow. We're all in faith's waiting room. Did you know that? Every one of us is waiting on God for something. And we don't like it. But now the question is, is how do we wait? We are all in faith's waiting room. And it's when we get tired of waiting that what'll happen is we're gonna start relying more on our intellect and our ability to finagle our way out of a situation. If God puts a barrier in our life, we're gonna figure out a way to get around it. We don't wait for him to remove it. Our reason will start coming on strong. And this is what happened to them. It was 10 years. They didn't get an answer. They're going to run and try to figure it out themselves. And that's what they do. What's the solution they applied? Well, in verse 2, we find that their plan to solve this problem was self-effort. Don't wait on God anymore. God's let us down. We're going to plumb up with plan B. You know, I think in our world today, there's a lot more plan Bs than there used to be. I don't think these guys could take their visa card down to the local tent and go on credit. But we can do a lot of things that are dopey as a plan B. But they did plan B. Why was it wrong? It wasn't really wrong because it was Hagar. Let's get, be clear. The culture of their time was you could raise up a family through your spouse or their servants because your servants belong to you and what they produced belonged to you. So it was, this is not a culturally wrong thing to do. What, do you, what did we read about? I think it's in Genesis 30 uh, with Rachel and Leah and Jacob. They tried the same solution, same problem. I don't have a baby. I'm going to give my husband my maidservant. Boy, that really worked out for them too, didn't it? No, it did not. But let's keep going because what happened here, there's four reasons why this was wrong. And we need to go quickly. The first reason was Abram listened to the voice of reason over faith in God. Simple. When our reason trumps God and his word, we're in the wrong. Do you hear me? We're not supposed to reason our way out of trials if they're contrary to God's word. I see so many people that, my marriage is really hard, so I'm just gonna find a new wife, the one that likes me. Really? You know God hates divorce. Yeah, but don't talk about that. He wants me to be happy. Does he? I'm praying for a new wife. Well, you better be praying for a new life because God might get rid of you to free her up. The point here is what we do here is we look for solutions to problems that God says, wait on me. He doesn't want us to come up with solutions. He doesn't need our help. He didn't need Abram and Sarai's help to solve this problem. He wanted them to trust him. What's another reason, though, besides we trust our own way instead of God's? It's wrong because their plan was based on expediency. They didn't ask what's right, what does God want? They asked what's gonna work? 
What can I come up with? And we do this all the time. Our culture is rife with this. The world is about results, is it not? What have you done for me lately? Time is money. Waiting is bad. So anything that delays our gratification is automatically suspect in our culture. God's saying, this is a wrong way of thinking. You need to be asking more. We need to be asking more, not is how many ways can I think around God's obstacle, is what is right? What does God want me to do? And if he tells me to wait, to do that. We just ask too much in our culture today, what will work? So this is what they did. They came up with a solution that says, I can do this. Yeah, you can, but should you? Well, don't ask me that. God says, wait. Well, you know, there's another thing we're doing. When we do that plan, just what I described, what we're doing is we're actually raising our fist a little bit to God, and we're saying something like this. Lord, you're just too dang slow, and obviously you're on a break, you're doing something, so I'm just gonna handle this one. I mean, we might never say that really truthfully out loud, but that is what our heart is thinking. You're just too slow, and I'm gonna, I can handle this one. Step out of the way, please. Let me finish. Well, whenever we do that, there's gonna be risks, and they had disastrous long-term effects to their plan, and we'll talk about that in a minute because they didn't believe one truth about God, that God will withhold no good thing from those who seek him. None. Third, the decision was wrong because Abram gave in to domestic pressure. And I know this is gonna spark a lot of discussions, but that's okay. It was a bad mistake. He listened to his wife. Now all you wives out there, I'm not saying they shouldn't listen. What I'm saying is we shouldn't listen to either spouse if they come up with a plan that's contrary to God's word and God's purposes, ever. And you might say, well, don't you love me? Okay, God's word and love me. You gotta pick God's word every time. And it might seem, well, I'm risking my marriage. No, you're not. God will protect your marriage. You, you be obedient to him. Well, do we have any examples of that? Well, Scripture has got a lot of them. How about Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias came up with a good plan to keep some money. So he got his wife involved. And what they said is, well, we're going to tell the church we gave, uh, we sold a property for this much, but we actually got a lot more. We'll just keep the rest, and nobody will know. She said, okay, dear. Foolishly. He went in, he died. She goes in, repeats the same story, and dies. Why? She didn't say no to an ungodly plan. Well, how about Ahab and Jezebel? She said, look, Ahab, you're just too miserable because the guy said no and he wouldn't sell you the field. I got a plan. We'll just frame them. They'll kill them, and you go take the land. He goes, really? Okay, sounds good to me. Really? That sounded like a good plan? No, that wasn't a good plan. Both of them, God ended up killing. Well, how about Adam and Eve? Eve comes up to Adam and says, you know what? According to Genesis 3, 6, she took from his fruit, ate, and she gave also to her husband with her. And he said, no way! Well, that's not how the story went, was it? It says, oh, cool. I don't know what went through his head. I don't know if anything went through his head. But he did what his wife wanted him to do. He did not trust and obey God. He did not protect his wife. But he listened to her. And what the result of that was, talk about negative consequences. It took the death of God's son, Jesus, to undo the consequences of that decision. That's why we have redemption. Well, don't be thinking that Satan will not try to worm his way into even our most intimate relationships and try to get us to create discord, disobedience to God, havoc in our lives. We gotta be on guard, even with each other, and tell each other the truth about what God's word says. 
Don't let one person just lead the other one astray. And fourth, the reason it was wrong is because they believed they could actually do, accomplish God's will through human effort. Do we ever think that? If I work harder at vacation Bible school or at summer night camp, more kids will be saved. Is that what saves kids? Or is it the spirit of the living God that saves kids? The faithful obedience of people that saves kids. That's what saves kids. It's not, well, I put together a great program. Well, I had lots of lights. and I had a, I had a big rocket up here. I loved the rocket. It was cool. But that's not what saved the kids. It's the spirit of the living God that saves kids. And it's by his grace and mercy that it happens. So what happens? David, can you imagine? He shows up, there's Goliath on the hill, and they said, hey, if you're gonna go face him, human advice is you better wear armor. Nobody without armor will beat this guy. He'll be destroyed. So David puts some on, clunks around a little bit, and says, phooey. I, I can't even move in this stuff. All I need is my sling and my God, and that giant is gone. He doesn't need the advice of the human warriors of their day. What's that gonna do? You better wear armor or you'll lose. Is that what happened? No, he, he rejected worldly counsel, followed God, trusted him, and had the victory. That's what we need to do, reject worldly advice. Well, churches can be that way too, can't they? Yeah, let's move on. There's a lot of problems that this created. One, though, was Hagar got proud, had no reason for it. Sarai started blaming Abram. Wasn't really his fault initially. I mean, you read the narrative, right? It did say that the Lord's kept me from having children, so sleep with my handmaid. Uh, I'm giving her to her as your wife. I mean, it wasn't just bad pizza in the middle of the night that Abram came up with this brainstorm. His failing was not saying no. Absolutely not. What are you talking about, woman? We're not doing something like that. But he didn't. And what was the end of their struggle? Well, anybody who knows their Bible history knows that that problem still is with us. That union between Hagar and Abram, out of that, came the Arab people, came the Islamic religion, came the continuing battle and war between Isaac and Ishmael. It goes on today. God, when he was there in person, said there's gonna be a battle. He's gonna be against everyone. And is he? Yes. So what we do can create tough, tough circumstances for a lot of people for a lot of years. Don't be fooled. When we think we are just, we're just gonna solve this one little problem, we might be creating a world of problems that we haven't even seen yet. And it'll last for a long time. So the problem they faced was not waiting. The, pro the solution they implemented was self-effort. And what we see here now is perfect. Intervention. What happens next? God comes down in person. It's a theophany. Hagar wasn't looking for God, but God found her. She didn't even think and ask for this situation she was in. It was thrust on her because she was a slave. So what happens? God met her personally. That's what it says. And he gives her promises. He tells her what's gonna happen with her son. He meets her and meets her needs and calms her down. I would say it this way in a more pragmatic way, a more practical way. Jesus comes down and picks up the pieces. Amen. You see, Abraham and Sarah made the blunder. Hagar got impacted. Jesus came and in person picked up the pieces. Don't you know how many times he's rescued me and you from boneheaded decisions and bad actions on our part, and he's come and picked up the pieces. Do you know that? You know, he's brought sometimes beauty for ashes. He's given us glorious events that are unimaginable out of our brokenness and rebellion. 
But God is a God of restoration and picking up the pieces in our life. And I'm so thankful we have a God that doesn't give up on us and say, you blew it, you're out. He comes and he rescues us and he picks up our pieces and he puts us back on the road. And that's what he did in this situation. That's why we sing something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. Why do you think your life is as good as it is? Because you made all the good choices? No, you had a rescuing, peace-picking up God that took your life out of the mess you made and put you on a firm place to stand on the rock of Jesus, and now you have a beautiful life. That's what this is about. That's what we see in this passage. Well, I want to close with a couple things. And don't get your hopes up too much because I do have a little bit more. (laughs) I want it to be as an encouragement to you because I see so many people that are giving up. They've been faithful so many years. They've had a tough situation in their marriage or a tough illness or a tough circumstance at work or a tough place of an unsaved loved one. A lot of pain. And they were in the waiting room a long time a long time. And they faithfully followed God for many years, but then somewhere along the way, they turned into Sarah and Abram, Sarai and Abram, and they got tired. They're gonna chuck it. They're gonna do their own thing and solve this problem once and for all. They're gonna leave that marriage. They're gonna do this thing. They're gonna buy this thing. They're just gonna do it. And it breaks my heart. Because I know that bad things are coming. This is not the best that God would have. And why do I know that? Because I know that if you're in this position, do not let go right now. Hold on, press on, wait for God. He has good things for you because if there is something good that you need in your life, he is not the one that will withhold it. We might get in the way of him giving it to us, but he's not gonna withhold it. I would remind you of a teenager named Joseph, a quick story, a 17-year-old boy. He had 10 older brothers, they wanted to kill him. God spared him, but he got the better treatment, I guess. He got sold to a Midianite slave trader. He was sold as a slave to Potiphar, the captain of the guard of the Pharaoh of Egypt. He did well there. In fact, Potiphar loved his work. He promoted him. He gave him control of everything. God blessed him, but Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar's wife had different designs. Joseph had to keep saying no, 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 we're not getting involved that way, no. And by his rebuffs, she got mad. She framed him. Potiphar put him in the dungeon. Fast forward, it's now been maybe 12 years he's been sitting in that dungeon, innocent. And then what it says, that he is blessed by God again, and the warden gives him complete control of the prison. What? You give the prisoners control of the prison? That's what he did for Joseph. In fact, the quote is right out of Genesis 39. It says, the warden paid no attention to anything Joseph did. (laughs) I laugh when I hear that. So here's what he said. Joseph, I'll tell you what. You take care of all the guards. You schedule them. You you take care of their meals, the prisoners' meals, where you want the guards to be, what their shifts are. Uh, You just take care of all that stuff. You got it. He gave Joseph the keys to the prison. So now, what would you do? You're in prison. You've been praying, asking God to get you out of this prison for 12 years, and now you've got the key in your hand. What would you do? Would you make a break? Or would you keep acting faithfully to the warden, to your God? It says that Joseph for 12 years, never heard an answer, didn't know what God's gonna do. He waited for him, and he waited every day, knowing that that day he could have used the key and got out. And he didn't. He had to face that trial every morning. Do I let myself out today? God's not coming through. I think I should let myself out. I'm innocent. What would have been the story? Well, the story was, God, in a moment, elevated him from prisoner's rags to royal robes. He was put on the throne of Egypt, and now he's got the second highest place of the largest nation on the planet. 
I'm sure he didn't have that in his forecast. What would have happened had he said the day before Pharaoh called him, I've had it, I'm bailing, I'm out. Well, he would have been a man on the run, hunted by the most powerful nation on earth. He certainly wouldn't have been in God's favor, nor would he have been on the throne. Why? Because he waited for God. God gave him the very best. God had a plan for him. He was designing a 13-year class while he was in that prison to prepare his humility and his heart to serve in the way he had to serve as Pharaoh. He sat through the class, and he let God decide when it was time to pass. Well, I'm going to go on and just close with this. There's a book called Gold in the Making by Ron Davis. And he shows an illustration that when we are saved, God places every one of his children in this class called Christlikeness 101. He wants every one of his kids to become like Jesus. And he works a curriculum out for every one of us individually that's specifically designed by God. And that plan is gonna be the most loving plan possible, the least painful process possible, the fastest acting process possible. It's gonna be the best class that you would ever find yourself in. Because God knows that shaving some of these hard spots off of our life and making us more like Jesus are gonna be a little painful. But God designed it So this is gonna have the least amount of pain. It'll be the fastest. You'll be in the trial the least amount of time that's possible because that's consistent with his loving character. He would not put you under a moment's more pain than is necessary, would he? If he could get you from here to here, and he said, well, yeah, they're already there, but I'm gonna let them suffer and squirm. Is that the character of our God? No, it is certainly not. He loves us too much. He's gonna say, I'm only gonna put as much pressure, as much pain, as much effort, as much trial as necessary to get them to this point. Now, what do we do? We get in that trial, we get in that classroom and say, this class is too hard. This class is just too stinking hard. It's too painful, it's too long, it's too, I can't take it no more. I'm dropping the class. And we bail. The thing that he asked us to wait on, we say, forget that. I'm not waiting anymore. I'm, I'm going to get rid of my pain, my loneliness, my problem. I'm, I'm just going to handle it. I'm dropping out of this class. I don't like what you're doing, God. And now God obviously then just goes, waits in the car and says, gee, I'm sorry. No. God says what I have begun, he will complete. Right? Is that what he said? He who began a good work in you will complete it. He's not giving up on you. So what does he do? When you drop out of his painless, least painful process, he says, I'm gonna re-enroll you in remedial Christ-like 101. Now, remedial Christ-like 101 is a little more painful, a little longer, a little less easy, a little more trial, but it will get you there. Please don't drop out of that class. Well, here's what happens. When I, I, I I have this fear in my head of getting to heaven after dropping one of his classes and finding out, he says, you know what, son? You faithfully followed me in this trial for 15 years. I was really proud of you, but then you said I was too slow and you dropped out of my class. This was just like the day before Joseph got out of prison. I was one day away from passing you, son, but you bailed and I had to restart you in the new class. So you never got out of this class in your whole life. You should have got out of it 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but you dropped. I just pray right now that each one of us would not be those that would quit, that we would be not weary in well-doing, that we would trust our God. God has our best interests at heart. If we don't have something we think is good, then it is not good. We were just talking. A lot of us go through life with our fingers in the wall trying to, I'm hanging on, I'm hanging on. The problem is, the reason we're probably hanging on is God wants to carry us through this life. He said, cast your cares on me, rest in me. The reason we're hanging is because we probably are trying to go for something that he didn't want us to have yet. 
If we just let go and rest, he'll take us there when it's time. We don't have to put our fingernails in the wall. We can just rest in him as long as his priorities become ours, as long as his timing is perfect, not ours. And I would just say, if every one of you here do not become weary and well-doing. Do not give up. You've been in that trial so long, press on. You've been faithful to wait for God on a new mate, wait. God's design is gonna be so much better than anything you could have come up with. It'll be delightful to your soul, not an oppressive thing and a pain to your soul. I just want you to know that God loves you so much that he can even pick up the pieces of your mess, but I would rather us not as a church create the pieces he needs to create and pick up. May we be people that follow him, trust him, obey him, rely on him. I don't care what his time frame is. If he wants to take me home first before he gives me the answer, that's fine because that would be best for me because that's his word and his promise. May we trust him today. May we all trust him and wait for him because in waiting is our strength, is our hope, is our peace, is our strength, is our security, is our hope. Waiting on God is the key. Let's trust him today. Father, I so thank you that you have put up with my foolishness over years, that you picked up so many pieces out of my life that I didn't think there was ever any remedy but you put them back together in a way that you made something beautiful out of something I messed up. Father, there's hope in Jesus Christ for every person here. If you don't know Jesus, he can put the pieces of a broken life back together. Trust in him. Trust in him alone. He can save you. He can redeem you. He'll forgive your sins just by believing that he is who he said he was, the son of God who died on a cross to pay for our sin. Father, thank you so much for loving me enough, but Father, help me not be a fool. Help me not to use Joseph's key a day earlier than it should be used. You have the hold of the key. You open the door when I'm supposed to be set free. Let me trust you today for that timing, knowing that it will be better than anything we can imagine. Save us from our heartbreak and failure to wait. Give us the endurance. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. Make this church a church that waits one more day because we know God does give the very best to those who leave the choice to him. In Jesus' name, amen.